Eddie Witts and the Most High combines the magical vibes of Jack Johnson with the sunshine of Jimmy Buffett and mix it into a genre-blended gumbo that takes us into a place from which we never want to escape. Now, Eddie's vocals dance between the bold and gentle, complemented by his collaborations with Grammy Award-winning producer native Wayne Jobson and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame songwriter and producer Jeff Berry. Now, additional notable musicians featured in his first album include the iconic drumming of Sly Dunbar of Sly and Robbie fame, as well as the highly acclaimed keyboardist Robbie Lynn with additional drumming and percussion provided by Jack Johnson's percussionist Adam Topol. Now, Eddie Witz's first record, My Island, was released October 2023 and quickly garnered over 30,000 streams and regular radio play in the USA and Jamaica and is currently spinning regularly on multiple SiriusXM channels. Now, new releases off his first album feature a collaboration with rock and roll global legend Brian Adams and the Jamaican rapper pop artist Shanisa. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome one of the most refreshing new voices in music, Eddie Witz, to the show. Welcome there. Blessings, greetings. Thank you so much for having me. Man, this is great. I have fallen in love with a brand new song that you released, My Island. Uh, man, what a refreshing sound uh, that song has. And uh, I know that we lost Jimmy Buffett uh, this year. And in a way, when I listen to that song, I think you may be the one who's going to be carrying that torch for a while. Well, who wouldn't want to carry uh, the torch for, for Jimmy Buffett? But... Um... I appreciate you saying that. And I actually just, in honor of him, I actually just took my family to his resort, the Margaritaville Resort over Thanksgiving weekend here in Palm Springs, California. And I wanted to catch the vibes and I was hoping I might hear my island uh, on, uh, on the radio there because they play the Margaritaville uh, channel, the Sirius XM channel, the Margarita radio channel. Um, and what a great resort. I mean, they're constantly pumping the good vibes. So uh, it's no wonder that he's built, you know, I guess a, an over billion dollar empire around uh, around Margaritaville. Yeah, we actually have a Margaritaville here, which I believe is only, I'm guessing maybe only 15, 20 miles from here. Mm. And uh, and it's and it's the newest Mar 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 uh, Margaritaville resort. And I hear it's a fabulous place. I haven't even had time to go and check it out. So now you've got me interested. So I'm going to have to grab the family and go out there and uh, catch that tropical vibe. Definitely, definitely. Well, my next, my second uh, record that I'm planning on releasing early next year is, is uh, a song called Jamaica Time or I'm on Jamaica Time. And it was my songwriting and producing partner, Native Wayne Jobson, who's a Jamaican-born artist and producer and songwriter, he, uh, he worked with Jimmy Buffett. He wrote songs with Jimmy Buffett that were released. And he wrote this song for Jimmy Buffett, Jamaica Time, 20, 25 years ago. And at the time, uh, Jimmy loved it. He said, we got to do it. I love it. And that was a time that his plane essentially was attacked by the Jamaican police. They mistaked, mistakenly thought he was a drug smuggler. And on board the plane at the time was the lead singer of U2, Bono, with his wife and children, and the founder and uh, CEO of Island Records, Chris Blackwell, 
was one of the most famous Jamaican record producers. He obviously developed, a, you know, signed Bob Marley and um, Cat Stevens and Grace Jones and people of that nature. And luckily, miraculously, nobody was hurt. The plane didn't didn't explode. And you know, they Jimmy Buffett's like, "What are you doing?" They're like, "Who are you?" Bono's like, "Are you crazy?" You know, they're like, "Who are you?" And then they see Chris Blackwell, and they're like, "Oh my God, we are so sorry, Mr. Blackwell." You know, because he's he's much more well known in Jamaica. So Jimmy Buffett wrote a song called Jamaica Mistaka after that experience, right? And it's a, it's a great song. Uh, everyone should look it up, Jamaica Mistaka. So Jamaica Time got put on the shelf and he never got to it. And of course, you know, he's, he's passed on now. So the song was another gift that fell in my lap. And, um, you know, in my mind, Jamaica, I want to make Jamaica Time sort of a similar brand. I, I think about a, a bringing Jamaican culture to the world with the food products, um, vacation resorts, you know, merchandise. Because what Jamaica Time represents is a state of mind, a state of being. It's don't rush me, soon come tomorrow, I'm on Jamaica Time. It's basically saying let's disconnect from all the stresses, everything that's stressing us out, work and all that sort of stuff. And it's my time right now to ground myself, to heal myself. Jamaica time could be the time that we're focusing on our health and our well-being. You know, that's so Jamaica time for me is really special, but it's very connected to my first song, My Island, because Let Me Take You to My Island is also an analogy. My Island is really just let me love you. Let me show you what I've learned. Let me share with you. You don't have to physically get on an airplane and fly to Jamaica or fly to Hawaii or another beautiful island, although that's what we did for the music video and and we took it you know as literal as possible. But it's really about what we're all experiencing. You know, there's all these crazy headlines, horrible wars, horrible things going on. It's hard to digest it as a parent with children. You know, you want to protect your children. You don't want them to think that they're growing up in a violent, scary world. You want to protect their health and how they're growing. And we're constantly combating toxicity and all sorts of stuff. So my island, um, the song uh, is really about that. You know, it's let's remember the sacredness of life and, and, and how important, you know, this little bit of finite time is that we get to share together. Well, that's the thing I got about the song, because as I was listening to it, you have this, uh, it's all, it's like you have this invitation in this song where you're inviting the listener in and the song is so refreshing. I mean, when I, when I, the very first time I heard it, and I'm being really honest here, the very first time I heard, heard it, I thought, this is a monster hit. Oh, thank you. Because it's, I mean, the production of it is well done, but your voice is fantastic. But it's just the whole vibe of the song that, you know, it's like the moment people turn it on to listen to it, it's just like, ah, okay, let me let me take the three minutes of, of my day and be stress-free. That's what that song is like. And I had a lot of help um, and I didn't, you know, approaching this, this was maybe the second, second and, and third song that I had ever um, worked on professionally in the recording studio because uh, 
I have, you know, put my ability as an artist sort of on the shelf uh, my whole life. As a young child, I played piano and I enjoyed singing and playing piano. I never played guitar as a youngster. And then I got in the theater and in college I was a theater major. So I was performing on stage in Shakespeare plays, music, you know, Broadway musical style plays and other contemporary plays. So I knew that I love to perform and, um, you know, be on stage in front of an audience. But I never imagined I would ever get an opportunity or figure out how to become a recording artist, you know, growing up, you know, whether it's the Beatles or the Eagles or John Lennon or other artists like Bob Marley. I just couldn't imagine, you know, that I had those abilities or skills. But it was um, Native Wayne Jobson who was over my house for dinner. I was suffering, uh, not suffering, but I, I had gone through this horrific trauma in 2020 that eventually led to me conjuring a shingles attack of my face um, and the trigeminal facial nerves basically shut down on me and the right side of my face went, you know, partially paralyzed. I couldn't shut my right eye, couldn't smile, couldn't move my right side of my lips at all, like not one iota, the ability to snarl, frown, and I'm still, you know, three years later working on regaining the full range of motion. And within that uh, time period, I picked up the guitar and started taking guitar lessons. Something was drawing me to, to music. And my wife, who's uh, an Australian-born singer-songwriter, you know, she had also sort of put that on the shelf to raise our family. But she had always encouraged me and us to work together. Why don't we write a song and why don't we do that? And I was always like, I don't really know how to do that. And I'm not sure, you know, how to do it. But Wayne was over and he said, I got a great song. You should record it. And I'm working on a movie soundtrack. He's actually producing the sequel to uh, Cool Runnings for Disney, the Jamaican bobsled film, which, you know, is still in development. Um, but when he mentioned that to me, I said, well, what do you mean? How, how, how do we do that? He said, well, don't worry. I'll introduce you to a, an engineer slash, you know, producer that can walk you through the process and I'll introduce you to some musicians that can play. So we ended up, um, that song was called Keys to the Kingdom. It hasn't been released yet, but that was my time to practice recording a song. And I went crazy. We brought in Santa, who was Peter Tosh's uh, drummer, and he's Ziggy Marley's drummer, to lay down percussion. Then I brought in someone from the Nyabingi Ethiopian church to play the, uh, the kete drum, which is very sacred, very sacred drum um, in African and Jamaican culture. And that was a beautiful experience because when they, when he came in, you know, he made a blessing before performing, right? He, he set this intention very, very spiritually high, which I thought was, was quite wonderful. And then, um, I ended up bringing in a saxophone and horns arranger named uh, Biscuit, who was Beyonce's saxophone player for many years. And so that, that whole experience, what happened was doing all of this was the most fulfilling and joyful and exciting experience that I have you know, ever been through. So I just, I was like, this is gonna help me heal myself. This is giving me so much joy and so much fulfillment. So after Wayne saw what I was doing there, he said, okay, I've got 
a Jimmy Buffett song named Jamaica Time that we might want to work on together. And I have a song that I'm working on with Jeff Berry that we've called My Island. And I'm like, who's Jeff Berry? He's like, well, Jeff Berry's the most, you know, decorated songwriter, you know, arguably the most decorated songwriter in the history of songwriting. And I looked him up and was blown away. This is the man that, you know, wrote Be My Little Baby and Go Into the Chapel. And Do Run and Run, right? Do Run Run. I Honestly Love You, Olivia Newton-John. And he had developed Neil Diamond before Neil Diamond became Neil Diamond. And what Wayne said is that, you know, Jeff wrote a hit song in 1970 called Montego Bay because Jeff Berry visited Jamaica the way that I had visited Jamaica and taken my wife there on our honeymoon and fell in love with the place. And he wrote this beautiful song that became a top 10 hit. And here we are many, many years later, he said, Wayne, I want to do a sequel to Montego Bay. Let's do a song that's going to help Jamaican tourism, help bring more people to Jamaica. And um, that's what was uh, given to me at that time. But, you know, essentially what Wayne did um, is helped bring musicianship to the project. So Sly Dunbar is one of the most decorated producers and drummers in the world, not just because not just a Jamaican uh, drummer or record producer, just record producer. He's worked with the Rolling Stones. He's worked with Madonna. Um, and um, so we went to Kingston, Jamaica, and I actually had Sly Dunbar lay down his drumming on four tracks. And since his partner, Robbie uh, Shakespeare, has passed away, he was the duo, Sly and Robbie duo, that played the bass, and Sly played the drums. We had uh, Wayne's brother, Brian Jobson, who's also a songwriter, and producer of My Island play the bass. And we had Robbie Lynn, who I learned about is one of the most decorated keyboardists, Jamaican keyboardists, uh, lay down all the keyboard tracking. And then, you know, the song just grows. And then I, I wanted steel drum, but I wanted steel drum that wasn't sort of commercially corny or cheesy because a lot of like actual Caribbean and Jamaican people and artists, sometimes they look at the steel drum as, oh, that's like a touristy thing, um, you know, for, for non-Caribbean people to enjoy. But I, I, I wanted that steel drum to be sort of the spiritual heartbeat of the song and, and create this sort of magical vibration. And we, we brought in, uh, it was Adam Topol, who Wayne introduced me to Adam, at a Jack Johnson concert in Los Angeles for Cali, a Cali Vibes Festival. It's coming up again in February. And Adam Topol, he's Jack Johnson's drummer for the last 20 years. And he's such a sweetheart. And he invites me to his studio in Venice. And he's got hundreds of percussion instruments from all over the world. Latin America, he went to Latin America. He studied Latin American percussion, African percussion, Jamaican percussion. And it was just like this amazing playground where I, we would spend an hour just like figuring out how we want to play the triangle. I never thought I would get so much joy, you know, from a, a block or a coconut and, and how we're going to track those instruments. So he came up with all these beautiful percussion arrangements and a big, the, the big part to creating this music um, is one of my 
co-producing partners, Andrew Furs. I call him Furzy. He's from Melbourne, Australia, Australia, but he lives here in Los Angeles. And he's really the, the guy behind the computer. Um, he plays acoustic tracks and electric guitar and bass, but he's just a brilliant co-producing partner. And, you know, when you're a new artist, what I've learned is you got to come up with sort of your vocal branding, the sound that sort of people can instantaneously say, oh, that's Bob Marley, that's Jack Johnson, or that's Eddie Witts. And you can hear it, you know, when you're just in a supermarket and there might be a- Well, really yeah, it's called, it's called finding your voice. And um, a, gentle, a, a, a British gentleman, uh, Stuart Pierce, is very well known in helping actors and even politicians to find what he calls to find their note. He was the mm. one that trained uh, Margaret Thatcher to become oh. the strong woman that she became as a prime minister of England. And she, he also uh, secretly trained Princess Diana after that horrible interview with Martin Bashir. She needed to find her voice and he trained her to and found her voice to become this the, the global phenomenon. So no, I completely understand what you're talking about when it comes to finding that voice or that note that when people hear it, they know who it is. And Andrew was good because as, as my theater background, I was naturally sort of pushing too hard and over singing things. And when you get into a recording, a, a, a recording studio with a, a sound room with a vocal microphone. He had this microphone called the Chandler Red. It lights up a red, and and it you could feel the electricity when you get close to it, like tickling your lips. And when you put the headphones on, you could just whisper, and you're like, "Whoa!" Right. So now you've got this amazing instrument where you don't have to scream. You can sing quietly and softly, and it sounds so beautiful. And you know, I have to credit him and credit these this equipment too for a lot of these things. But in finding my voice, it was really this health journey, right? Me having to try to heal myself, try to calm myself down, calm my nervous system down. What we spoke about earlier about living in a, a, a mode of constant forgiveness and being grateful and being thankful and accepting things, you know, for better or for worse. I wouldn't have been able to record, produce, or make any of this music without that growth, without that experience that I've been through in the last three years um, to better myself, you know, to to transform myself. And, um, you know, a lot well, of people- Is that where your soft tone came from in the song, My Island, was from learning by recording on that particular microphone? Well, I had I had the experience of that first song, Keys to the Kingdom, working on that microphone, and and I worked hard to you know redo and redo and redo the vocals to get to a point to train myself to know that you don't have to push, um, and vocal in learning you know different vocal techniques, and I'm still learning all of that. With my island, it was it was really weird. Like the first time I did a scratch vocal, you know, because most modern songs today have very few lyrics. Verses are very short. Choruses could be a few words. But here I have a literally Shakespearean soliloquy of lyrics. How do you pull that off, right? And not bore people. So 
I approached it, the song, more as a folk, like a Jamaican folk pop song, which no one expected. They expected it's just going to be like reggae kind of song. And I'm like, let's go more broad. Let's kind of make it this more Americana, folky pop with authentic Jamaican and African and Latin percussion um, influences. And then after completing that version, there's a, a beautiful gentleman by the name of Neil Case, who professionally goes by Bass Mechanic. He's Jamaican as well. He's English, but I think he moved to Jamaica when he was a child. And he grew up with Wayne and Brian. And he's an expert in creating remixes, whether it's a reggaeton, a reggae remix. Um, so he took my island like a surgeon and created the remix that's on Spotify right now, which is a groove-centric. That's the version that Jamaican radio, Irie FM, is spinning on uh, heavy rotation. I love the remix version. And I actually listened to both of them because I was curious as to what the differences were. So I went back and listened to the original cut. And I'm like, okay. Then I played the remix again, and I'm like, oh, there's the difference. I love the remix version. It's just, I don't know, it's weird. It's just, it's so bright. It's its so fresh and, and airy uh, to me. And I just want to listen to it over and over again because the song is so great. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, the, the remix is definitely a, gets your hips moving. It's got this bass line. Like if you have a, a bumping system in your car or, or a subwoofer system, you will feel that version. You will, you will hear that version. Um, but the original version, um, that folky version to me, it's just, um, you know, it's going for a more timeless approach. There's certain songs like maybe like Paul Simon, like mother and child reunion. And some of the songs that he did are, that are like folky kind of Jamaican reggae songs. And, um, even Jimmy Cliff, who's, you know, most famous Jamaican reggae artist, but he's got some really beautiful folk songs that have just crossed over, you know, because reggae music and Jamaican music has that potential to really cross over. And there's been artists like UB40 that did a cover of, let's say, a Neil Diamond song, Red, yeah, Red, Red, Wine, Red Wine, and turn that into not just a big reggae song, but just a global pop song that, that people cherish. I was actually listening... Because I was thinking about um, what song would be good for me to cover, right? But do it more in that Jamaican reggae vibe. And I was looking at this song. Um, uh, oh God, I, it's, sorry. <laughs> Actually, it's, when you earlier, when you were talking, I was thinking, and, and this is funny that you bring this up because I was thinking, what song could Eddie cover? And then you mentioned the Eagles, and I went, wait a minute. Tequila Sunrise and Peaceful Easy Feeling. I'm thinking oh, he could pull God. that off. But at the same time, because of your voice, you could sing anything that Timothy B. Schmidt sings. Mm. You know, because um I was talking to I was talking to Paul Carrick from uh Mike and the Mechanics and and Squeeze. Um and he and Timothy um wrote songs together and so um what when when you said that i thought yeah there's two great eagle songs that you could literally just cover and what's funny is 
I'm a huge, not only a huge Eagles fan, I'm an even bigger Neil Diamond fan because mm -hmm. the songwriting is so deep compared, like you said, compared to what we hear today, people are lazy on the songwriting side. Yeah. And because they're just trying to get a bunch of radio airplay. But I like, you know, the lyrics that Simon and Garfunkel did. Neil Diamond. And I mean... Hello again. And um, I mean, I, that's why I, I, I'm talking to people. And I like about the 60s and the early 70s Neil Diamond, you know, Solitary Man. And, you know, the, the you know, I Am I Said. I mean, the list goes on. And, and you have the voice that, in my mind... And even in my ears, you can bring new life to some of these songs. And most people who have never heard them, they're going to think you're the one that wrote them. Yeah. Well, I, um, I, I tell everyone they have to watch The Jazz Singer, which was, you know, Neil Diamond, Laurence Olivier, the greatest actor who've ever, who's ever lived, you know. Uh, and what a great film that is. And it's actually, you know, it's, I guess it's a remake of the first film that's ever been made. Uh, if, if I'm not incorrect on that. And the Guild Guitar, which I'm doing some content right now around my Guild Guitar. So Neil Diamond played a Guild Guitar and he plays it in The Jazz Singer and Bob Marley played on a Guild Guitar. And it was random that I was searching for a good guitar when I was ready to step up to something a little, little nicer to use for recordings. And I thought a Martin or a Taylor was what I needed and I was running all around, trying every Taylor and Martin I could find. And I kept seeing these Guild guitars from like the 1970s. They were just way too expensive. But I went to this place on Pico called McCabe's, which is a famous, it's a famous guitar store, a music store in Los Angeles on Pico Boulevard. And all of a sudden I see this Guild, it's like a year old. And when I held it and played it, it, it was just so bright and beautiful and resonant. And that's the good, one of the major guitars in all my recordings that I've been using. Um, yeah, I mean, the Eagles, so I got to send you more of my songs because what I'm really doing, my music is really a blend of Americana, folk, pop with, you know, reggae elements. And, um, and sometimes the reggae is more really just on the percussion side and the work that I'm doing with Adam Topol, meaning you'll have this sort of pop Americana folk song, but then you'll hear bongos and congos and shakers and tambourines and triangles sort of in in the back in the background it's kind of like what christopher cross did to a lot of his music and someone like stephen uh bishop did back in the day where they you just talk about all the guys that i absolutely love and i still listen to them because those mm -hmm. are the people you got to go back to and you got to listen how they did things and, and you bring up an excellent point. You know, when, when UB40 did Red Red Wine, you know, because when I first heard it, I went, Neil Diamond, because I already knew the song, because I have all the albums. And, uh, I mean, I literally can just reach over here and, and grab a collection of any Neil, Neil record I want. And this is Whoa. the first pressing of, this is the first pressing. Whoa, I've never seen that picture of him. Yeah, this is Hot August Nights, one of the most famous double albums ever recorded. Wow. I have yeah. never seen that album and that, that, that cover. Well, and here's the thing. Because of because how great your voice is, this is the Neil Diamond album you got to get is Stones. Oof. 
I mean, how many, how many albums do you know that actually has a string tie on the back? Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, this, this, I mean, dude, I, and now, yeah. Now, Priceless. Because you're one of my favorite people now. now <laughs> this is one of the best Neil Diamond records. This is First President. This is Longfellow's Serenade. Now, you want songs that move your heart? You want an album that has less than 10 songs on it and everyone will move you? This is the only album you got to own. Whoa, you are pulling out the, you just went, you just moved your arm to the right and grabbed, how did you do Dude, that? Dude, I got a full blown turntable off to the side. <laughs> this may be my TV <laughs> studio, but I got a, I've got, I've got all my Neil Diamonds, all my Beatles, all my Bee Gees, because see, I love song writers. Bee Gees, Bee Gees, I'll be Australian. I, I want to do a cover. I, I, I said, let's do a cover on the Bee Gees because I'm so in love with the Bee Gees. Well, I heard a rumor. Now, do, have you have you listened to Barry Gibbs' Greenfield's album? Um, not the where he album. Where he took some of the famous Bee Gees songs and he recorded them as duets with people like Dolly Parton, Little oh, right. Big Town, and um, the lead singer from, uh, you know, uh, Jay Buchanan from Rival Sons. When, when they did To Love Somebody, which is the best song on that whole album. I heard the rumor is, is that he could be working on a second one. That's where you need to be. Oh, I, love, <laughs> yeah, well, I would love that. I mean, I have a lot of connections to Australia because my wife's Australian and we spend a lot of time down under. So I'm starting to do some radio promotions in Australia because I want the ability to tour in Australia and to perform in Australia. We're thinking about moving uh, to Byron Bay, uh, New South Wales, Australia, and letting our kids experience, you know, what it is to grow up in Australia as, as something different than growing up in Los Angeles, which might not be such a bad thing with what's going on out here with, you know, crime increasing and stuff like that. But, um, you know, songwriting. So luckily, my wife is a brilliant songwriter and lyricist. So together I'm learning how to be a much better songwriter a lot faster because I have a wicked partner by my side, you know, and, and now, you know, I'm really focusing on producing and recording songs that, you know, we've written or that we've written with other people. Um, you know, my Island was written by native Wayne, Jeff Berry and Brian Jobson. But the amount of, you know, I'm bringing so much to the table with arrangements, with musicians, with, you know, investing really heavily into the production side of the songs. Um, and that's really just the beginning. Right now, one of my biggest challenges is how do we, you know, grow this audience? How do we get more people to listen to the song, to, uh, to relate to it? So whether that's social media, content, digital marketing, radio promotions, doing gigs. I have a gig coming up at the Viper Room on Sunset in Los Angeles, uh, one of the most famous uh, venues in Los Angeles in the place that I grew up because I was lucky enough. So I was born and raised, I was born in Hollywood, grew up in Los Angeles my whole life. So I really sort of grew up under the shadow of Hollywood and surrounded by a lot of interesting people, a lot of uh, actors, musicians, um, and I was really lucky to grow up in that environment um, and get inspiration from so many beautiful artists and entrepreneurs. You have you have such you have so many all star people around you, 
And it was funny because when I was listening to My Island, the, the remix version, I was sitting there really, really listening. I'm like, wait a minute. And and now that I and now that I see you, I'm thinking, okay, first off, you can be an actor. You've done theater. But then when I was listening to My Island, I'm like, this song should be on a movie soundtrack. And when you had mentioned earlier about the other songs and, and about them doing uh, to work on Cool Runnings 2, I'm like, this is the song. <laughs> we hope so. We hope so. I mean, I actually was producing all these songs knowing that it needs to get to the Disney quality level. You know, like when Disney films like Frozen and, and Mulan, like a lot, some of those musicals that they do, they write songs very specific to the stories and whatnot. And some of times it's just pop songs that end up in the movies. But I wanted to approach it like, how do we custom make music for a potential sequel to Cool Runnings? Um, but um, I know but someone then, you may want to talk to. And I think he's in LA. Is oh, to look up Bruce Bellin. Bruce Bellin wrote numerous songs for Disney. I mean, like, like you know, they would have the songwriting department. So if a director or producer was working on a film, they would run into the room and go, "Okay, guys, we need we need uh, three songs for this film, and we need them by tomorrow morning." And they would write the songs, and they would end up in the film. You know, I mean, that's all right, who all right. I want to become. I want to become like, you know, guys like Mel Brooks and these directors where it's like, I can, you know, I'm like trying to Willy Wonka stuff, you know, like I can, I can love someone to say, you know, work on, work on this movie project and help create all this music for it. Um, the, um, yeah, there's so many, so this weekend is SyncCon. It's the Sync Convention in Los Angeles. So I'm going, I bought tickets. I'm Wayne and I are going because I need to learn. I'm going to meet a bunch of people that are in charge of uh, gaming companies, film studios, TV studios that hire music supervisors and look for music to put into uh, projects. And what I'm hearing is that's really the only way to do it is relationships, right? But a ukulele ballad like My Island is actually what I've been told in the industry is really valuable for syncing because lots of films and TV shows are looking for like a ukulele ballad, but there's not a lot of options. There is the famous one, uh, the, is the Hawaiian artist from Hawaii, Israel, who did Over the Rainbow, but he yes. covered it more of a ukulele style. That's in so many films, right? I mean, you hear that all the time. So I'm hoping that my island could be like that and, and could end up uh, in some films, that would be, that and that's be. a perfect song to be playing on ukulele. But I'll tell you, the the greatest gift is to perform these songs. When I perform, let me take you to my. It just brings me so much joy. I, I'm like, how am I the lucky guy that gets to like sing this song right now? Well, you know? I heard, I heard that you actually placed healing uh, chakras into the song. Is that true? And if so, why did you do that? Well, so part of my healing journey to try to heal my uh, facial paralysis, this Ramsey Hunt syndrome condition that we talked about and the synchronesis, which is sort of the, the abnormalities that seem to be left, um, you know, with the fascia that sort of gets hardened in the paralysis. 
I ended up doing a weekend event with um, a beautiful group of people from Africa, an African tribe. And I was sitting down learning about, we're really talking about our infinite existence, not the finite existence in this physical body, but our soul's infinite existence. And how do we focus on that more, right? Um, and within that, there was a sound bath and a sound healing artist. And I was learning that certain bowls had a direct frequency correlation to the seven chakras in the body, starting, I guess, with the overarching sort of aura chakra, the crown chakra, going into the third eye chakra, the throat chakra, the heart chakra, the belly and sacrum. And there was a young a young man there named Zion, who I just connected with. And he told me that he's studying to be a music mixer and that he has come up with a new technology process of incorporating the chakra frequencies, the solfeggio frequencies into the mixing of the song. So I was like, oh my God, I want to try this with my island, even though I had already mixed and mastered the my, the my Island original version and the reggae remix version. I, I set up an appointment back with Andy Baldwin, another Australian artist. Um, he's a world-renowned mixer and an artist and a producer. And we went to his studio up Mount Washington and we explored and experimented with a new mix. And we were successful at the end of the day. So we ended up the kick drum in my island, the kick drum, that's the heartbeat, the heartbeat of the song. So we created a, a bus, as they call it, in mixing, and we put the heart chakra in that bus. So now every time the, uh, the, the kick drum is played, the heart chakra frequency is integrated in that. With the snare drum, I think we did the third eye chakra. And every chakra frequency, it's like a physical frequency that we're putting into the computer, into the mixing process. And as that instrument is channeling through it, 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 it gets affected by that. And we went all seven chakras. We, we picked different instruments and different places to put it. And when we analyzed it, 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 it makes the song a little warmer. It's subtle differences, but it's a little bit warmer. And, you know, if you just listen to it and close your eyes, you'd like to believe that it's more harmonizing to the physical body, right? Because the human being, we contain all these chakras. So when we're hearing the song, the ability to feel like, I want people to listen to the song and feel like, wow, I feel like I took my shoes off and I walked in the sand for 10 minutes or I jumped in the ocean and that feeling, that electric magnetic field in the earth that sort of helps ground us and put us in a mode of it's parasympathetic, right? That's the mode that we want to be, or is it yeah. sympathetic? Uh, no, I think it's parasympathetic. That parasympathetic mode. So I'm now trying to explore this with all my other songs. Um, I have some of my producing partners that are concerned that when you do this, it could mess up, the, I think, what they call the phasing. And they're a little concerned it could, you know, cause other problems with the mix. But what I really want to do is build maybe a plug-in. For this because healing music is is growing uh as a category and there's all different ways that people do it but um you know up until this point it's more like instrumental music there's artists that i work with there's actually 
I was blessed. There's a, um, an ethereal soundscapes artist, Australian artist by the name of Benny Holloway. And Benny was in LA working with Furzy in the studio. He's a beautiful, he lives up near Byron Bay and he performs in like yoga festivals where hundreds of people are meditating. And he's, he sings like a didgeridoo. He sings like an instrument. I mean, and he actually performed some of the backing vocals and set the bar for the backing vocals in my island. I can't take credit for that. This whole, the backing vocals that it's just, I, I was going to do the backing vocals, but I wasn't sure how I was going to do the backing vocals. He happened to be there. So we said, okay, why don't you try it? And he started doing that. And I'm like, oh my God, now I need to do that too. And we, 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 you know, we harmonized both of our voices in the backing vocals. But we, if you listen, if you can look him up, he's got millions of streams, Benny Holloway. His music is really healing music. Um, and the music that you listen to when you're in Shavasana, right, at the end of your yoga practice and you're really trying to center yourself. What I'm trying to do as an artist is how do I bring all this to mass markets, to the pop world? Right. See, I love that idea. I love that concept because you know a lot of the a lot of the songs today, they're just there. Um, they don't evoke emotion. They don't evoke feeling. They don't even evoke a a beat to <laughs> right. that. Just once you kind of get you into the groove. When I listen to my island. It's like, and as you're explaining all of these different parts, I'm like, oh my gosh. Because mu music is strictly made to move us. It can move us physically. It can move us mentally. It moves us emotionally. I mean, I love listening to music as I'm writing up scripts because Sometimes you get that right song, you get that right melody, and all of a sudden your brain goes, oh, I got the perfect idea, or I got the perfect question that I want to ask this person in this interview. And so music, see, the thing about music is this, and, I, and, I've, and I've said this so many times on my program, parents need to encourage their children to pick up a musical instrument because it makes them smarter. It creates new brain nerve pathways. When um, I was, I was fortunate enough to go to um, Glenn Campbell's 80th birthday celebration. He wasn't there because he at that time uh, was suffering with Alzheimer's. And so his wife, Kim told me that the very the very last thing that Glenn ever lost was the ability to play the guitar. The very last thing. So it shows you how powerful music is, but even more powerful when someone actually learns to play. I mean, my son and daughter have enough guitars to open up a freaking store. I mean, she just mm. bought a brand new jazz box. So... Oh, and, wow. and she and she loves playing ukulele. I mean, I think the only stringed in instrument she doesn't own is a banjo. <laughs> so, but it's the fact that when people learn to play a musical instrument, if it's a guitar, 
if it's uh, I don't care if it's the drums or the piano, you're creating a nerve pathway that is yeah. so strong that the brain will hold on to that till the very end. Wow. This is why this piano right here, my son, he's 13, Kai, and my daughter, Lennon, named after John Lennon, she's going to be 11. And we have been adamant that they continue with their, it's called Simply Music. Um, because, you know, in the pandemic, you, you couldn't physically meet with people. So everything's Zoom. Um, and we just actually recorded. I had them both had to track their piano for the holiday, you know, Christmas uh, performances uh, that they do. And that's been an amazing experience. And, of course, dragging them to Jamaica to shoot the music videos for My Island in Jamaica time. They've had to hear Daddy sing and play that song a million times. And I'm sure they're pretty sick of it at this point. But... Um, it's funny because we in Spotify just released yesterday, like, you know, hey, you listened to this song the most this year. And it's like, out of everything, of course, I've listened to My Island more than anything. And my son was like, Dad, how did you listen to more My Island? Because he's listening to Eminem right now. He's like, you listen to My Island more than I listen to Eminem. You know, I actually looked at my list this morning because I was curious. And I looked at it and went, people are going to think I just listen to yacht rock <laughs> listen yacht that's my yacht rock is my inspiration right when we talk about hall and oats and christopher cross and all these songs like i'm really trying to like a lot of what i do is like if the eagles or james taylor or like hall and oats or were new artists coming out today what would that sound like you know that's kind of what i'm going for with my the blend that i'm doing you know and with my vocal branding and the music branding. See, I, I love, I love what you're doing. I love talking to you because it's so refreshing to talk with a recording artist that actually gets it, you know, because oh, I, I've talked to some, and I'm not going to mention any names, but I recently, I've talked to a few legends in the recording industry and I'm talking artists. And one of the biggest things that irked them the most of all genres of music was having some of their iconic songs, the beats, stolen by the rap industry. And because they were saying, we get it, but you're not paying us. These songs were written 40 50 years ago. I mean, some of them were written in the 70s and the rap artist steal the beats, does not give them credit, but never writes the check. And 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 one of the artists that I talked to was a black artist and he was ticked off about it. And I was like, wow. But the thing, but more importantly is, it is those songs that is the true art of songwriting. Not just slapping a bunch of short verses together, to create something that kind of sounds good, to force it on the radio and force it on people to listen to. That's not a real song. I'll tell you, I was uh, lucky to go to an event in Santa Monica last week at a, a company called Apogee. Apogee, they're a famous music mixing company. And the owner's husband is one of the most famous mixers in the industry. His name is Bob Clearmountain. And Bob, uh, we were sitting in a room with the Atmos, the immersive Atmos sound system. And he's what he's doing is he's remixing 
he was remixing the Roxy Music Brian Ferry album. So we were listening to Avalon in Atmos. We were listening to Bob Marley in Atmos. We were listening to Brian Adams in Atmos. So he works, he's been working with Brian Adams for a very long time. And of course I'm thinking, oh my God, my island in Atmos, I think is perfect, right? Because you, you literally, you'll think like, oh, the steel drummer is like right behind me playing over there. And the guy in the Congo is like right over there. And above me is, you know, angels singing or whatever the case may be. Um, which leads me to the Brian Adams story. So after Coachella, there was stagecoach in, uh, in Palm Springs. And I'd never been a stagecoach before. And I was blown away with stagecoach. And Brian Adams was performing there. And Wayne is friends with him as worked with him over the years, known him for decades. So I was backstage with Brian Adams and trying to like not fan out on him. But of course I was. And Wayne's like, Eddie, you need to chill out, you know, just act cool, man. Act cool. You know, you're an artist now. Be cool. I'm like, oh, sorry. <laughs> and um, Brian Adams is such a rock star. This guy's got 20 hit songs. And he, he literally doesn't even need to sing because the entire audience is singing every lyric of his song. It's, it blew my mind. So Wayne had a brilliant idea with, with Brian's blessing. There's a song off his first studio album called coming home. I'm coming home, Lord, I'm coming home. And a lot of vets actually play this song and, you know, about coming home to see their family. And Wayne has always loved this song, but Brian, he never like redid it. He never performs it live. Like not a lot of people have heard this song. So Wayne said, Eddie, no one even knows. Many people don't know this song. Let's cover it. And maybe Brian will play guitar or something. Maybe we'll get lucky. Of course, we didn't get him to play guitar, but I got his percussion, his drummer, Pat Stewart, which was his original drummer in the 1980s and is now his drummer now touring with him. We had Pat lay down the percussion. We had Brian Adams engineer, engineer it in his recording studio in Canada. And I got to see him at, at backstage at the forum in Los Angeles a month or two ago. And he said, how's it going? I said, it's great. Uh, it's like my favorite song. I just performed it live at the mint. He was like, how'd that go? I said, it went great. Uh, and you know, luckily, um, you know, he didn't, he, he didn't say, you know, <laughs> I'm really mad that you're doing it, but, um, you know, learning from Brian Adams and, and the stuff that he did, I guess Brian's doing what Taylor Swift is doing. He's re-recording all of his songs because he wants to own the masters, you know, Taylor Swift did that. Right. So he's literally re-recording all of his top hits at the moment. And I guess Bob Clearmountain is, you know, mixing everything for him and putting it in it an immersive Atmos uh, setting and experience. So, Have you heard Brian Adams' um, covers album? No. Oh, my gosh. My He's wife <clears throat> pulled it up. And she goes, have you heard this? I said, I didn't even know it existed. Do you remember the song um, by the Manhattans, Kiss and Say Goodbye? No. He does that song. Now, you got you to gotta pull up the original on Spotify. The Manhattans kiss and say goodbye. Because it starts out as he's, it starts out as he's talking, you know. And, but then to hear Brian Adams sing, I'm like, I've never heard anybody. 
on this planet ever cover that song. And he actually covered one of Neil Diamond's songs on that album, which I believe is from one of the more modern albums. I think it was from 19 later eighties. I know I have it over there somewhere, but uh, he's talented. Brian Adams has a voice like like uh, Andy Gibb, you know, like gold, touched by the golden wings of the angels. And um, the other person that obviously has an incredible voice is Mike, none other than Michael Bolton. And Michael Bolton, so I, when I was in Jamaica, Wayne was producing a charity concert for the Children's Hospital. And Michael Bolton was the headliner that night. And I got a chance to see him perform and meet him backstage. He's suffering from a condition right now. Um, I'm not sure what you call it, but um, I was wondering because I saw him uh, on television recently, and I'm like, okay, something's not right. He can still yeah. sing, but mobility is, is restricted. It, yeah, yeah, but he's but he's still got the voice. When you talk about some of the greatest voices, you know, he's definitely up there. And I didn't realize that a lot of what he does is cover songs. Um, so, you know, and I had a stigma when I first, when I was first coming out to do my first performances and gigs in LA, I thought, I said, well, I'm not gonna do any covers because, you know, I need to just do songs that I've recorded that I've written. But then people said, no, Eddie, you want to do at least one cover because what you do kind of tells people what kind of artist you are, or what kind of artist you're trying to be. It gives them something else to relate to that they've they're more familiar with because nobody knows your songs. You're they're hearing it for the first time. So what we did the last show is a Tracy Chapman song called "Baby Can I Hold You Tonight," and I actually did it as a duet with my wife. You know, forgive me is all that you can say. Years gone by and still it's a it's when I heard I was I was looking up covers covers what cover could I do it's hard you know and and I guess there was a female Jamaican artist that covered that song and I and I, and then I'm like wait let me I don't remember even the original Tracy Chapman version when I listened to her version I was like in tears I was like oh my god this song is speak to me the lyrics everything that's going on and that's a beautiful song. So I'd love to continue doing Tracy Chapman. And she, I guess she just won an incredible award. I think the first female black uh, songwriting award, producing and country award. music, because it was, was it Luke Combs that, uh, yes. that did Fast Car? And, right. But you know, when I hear you sing, I'm like, you know, you could pull a UB40 and you could take Christopher Cross's Sailing and give it a little bit of that Jamaican vibe and make it even more of an upbeat yeah. song because your voice works perfectly with something like that. You you even may want to uh, you even want to may go back in time and pull out Neil Diamond's Jonathan Livingston Seagull album and oh, okay. go back and look at some of those um I'll tell you, and Don Henley. There's a lot of right? stuff for you because, man, you you're the total package, man. <laughs> and we talk about the Eagles. Don, I mean, Don Henley. That's another like his voice and his performances, everything that he's done. 
We have a beautiful song uh, that we're doing right now called Same Moon Tonight. That's a very, it's a, more of an Eagles vibe. Looking at the same moon tonight, same moon tonight, same moon. And uh, a lot of the ad-libbing that we're doing in the end, I think the, the sun might be coming in weird here, but- um, No, you're good. It's fine. Uh, reminds me of, of Eagles. But yeah, listen, that's, listen, all I do is, I think the Bee Gees were saying that in the documentary with music, it's kind of like, we can't really take credit for stuff. Music is like out there in the universe. And it's just, if you can grab onto something while it's drifting past you and connect to it and bring your own talents to it, of course, but it's really a gift. Like, you know, it's not like I own, like my island and these songs are like, I'm just the lucky guy at the moment that's working on it. But anyone can, you know, cover your songs at any time or do their own interpretation of it. So it's really, it's things we're sharing all of this experience we're sharing you know we're sharing we're here to share we're here to grow and learn with each other and um but that's what's so amazing about getting to the point as an artist where you can perform in front of audiences or larger audience in festivals would be a dream come true and what i'm trying to manifest so that the emotive messages and feelings in the songs can connect with people in the moment people that are going through rough times, good times, bad times, just a moment, uh, creating an experience where people are with their family and they had a good, a good experience and something that's memorable because some people think it's not important, but the time is so short here that those memories are priceless, priceless. And, and you know, I had the opportunity to take my son Kai for his 13th birthday to his first concert ever. And one of the bands that he loves is Coldplay. So I said, we're going to the Rose Bowl. We may, we may get a backstage VIP pass. We might meet, you know, Chris Martin. And I went to the Rose Bowl. We sat up at the top. It didn't really matter. And it was the most incredible experience for him and for me. And we were lucky. After I, I slipped into the VIP section, and it was literally five minutes before midnight. My son was about to become a man, right? Teenager, you know, 12 to 13 is a big one. And all of a sudden I see Chris Martin walk out to talk to people, you know? And I'm like, oh my God, this is it. This is it. We, we can't. So I literally push my son. I push my friend. We come around the back of Chris Martin. And I say, Chris, this is my son, Kai. His it's his first concert ever. You're his favorite artist. Coldplay is his favorite band. His birthday is in five minutes. He's about to turn 13. And he had this love pin because he works with this organization called Love. And he smiles. He takes the pin off his chest, over his heart, gives it to my son, Kai, and says, happy birthday, Kai. Thanks for coming. You know, And I was just like, oh, my God. Chris Martin just literally gave my son a blessing and gave him, you know, a, a button that says love. And my son was like, dad, what just happened? Was, was that really the lead singer of Coldplay? I'm like, yes, it was. And congratulations, you're 13, you know? Wow. And just, you know, to create a memory, like he'll, he's never going to forget that. I'm never going to forget that. And, um, I don't know, you know, I, I think I made up for a lot of, cause you know, I haven't taken my kids to, you know, backstage to a lot of these things. So I think I made up for a lot of lost time there. Oh, I think so. And oh my goodness, man, I, I have enjoyed this conversation with you probably more than 
probably most of the interviews that I've done this year. And uh, you and I love the same artists, the, the, the music, we get it. You get it, which is what excites me more than anything, because we need more artists like you that actually understand the artistry of music, the artistry of songwriting, uh, the production, and not just slapping a bunch of stuff together to make the bean counters happy at the front office, but to create something that will be timeless. I mean, because think of all the people that you and I have mentioned, all the artists that we've mentioned today, they're timeless. I mean, to think back that some of these albums are 40, 50, 60 years old. I mean, when I pulled out Neil Diamond's Hot August Night, that was 1975. And think how that's, long that's been, that's but people, people still remember it. And I think you're the you're the type, and you're one of the artists today that is going to be bringing us so much music that we're going to remember it 30, 40, 50 years from now. You're that kind of guy. Thank you. Well, I'm a 1975 baby, so I've got some benefits being born that year, and I'll tell you, I, I, I'm going to share. So for seven months, I've been in post-production on the, on the music videos for my island because I knew the potential of what we shot there. It, it basically is, looks like a National Geographic documentary in Jamaica with me standing on a waterfall, like singing the song in, 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 in other amazing locations. But we're going to release it uh, officially, I think, in the next few weeks. And hopefully when, when we meet again or when this goes live, um, we can include that link because... I worked really hard to express all of these thoughts and emotions in the visuals of the song. And I'm really proud of it now. Um, I, I've, I've gone, I've hired three editors, three different color grade people because everyone brought something to the table, but I was, I just wasn't satisfied. I knew it could be better. I knew it could look better, feel better. So yeah, I guess I'm a bit of a, perfectionist in that. And, well, and, I'm and, glad you are. And I tell you, I'll tell you this, Eddie, you have an open invitation to come back onto this show because when you get that brand new album out, you've got to right. come back here so we can walk through each and every song because I know for a fact that every song is going to have a story. And ladies and gentlemen, you got to head over to eddiewits.com. It's on the screen. You need to check out his music, check out the brand new single, My Island check out his merch, get on his email list and and find out his tour schedule because if he even comes anywhere near you, you better be buying a ticket and check this guy out. I have interviewed so many recording artists over the last few few years, but th this guy here is a total package and... <laughs> You better keep an eye out. You better keep an ear out for this guy because, Eddie, I, I'm going to say this now. We're not only going to hear some of the greatest music in history coming from you. I'm probably going to expect to see you in a future film sometime. And uh, who knows? Many of your songs end up on some massive movie soundtrack here in the future. Well, I would love that. Thank you so much for saying that. I'm super grateful. Very appreciative. And uh, just you're, you're, you're making my day a, a very bright day. Going into rehearsals today uh, to prepare for the Viper Room gig. And this is my first time. I'm going to just break it down more acoustic. Just three, a three-piece band, you know, which, which is uh, more intimate, more intimate. 
Well, sometimes that's all it takes. And ladies and gentlemen, once you hear this song, My Island, you're going to become an instant fan, just like I have. And it's the soothing sound of Eddie's voice will make you feel that you are literally sitting on a white sandy beach, sipping on a Mai Tai as your troubles melt away. And uh, so get on to Spotify, get on SiriusXM, tune in to either Kenny Chesney's channel or Jimmy Buffett and get ready. Or just go straight to Spotify, look up Eddie Wentz and The Most High, and check out My Island again. You're going to be a huge fan in an instant, and you're going to be begging for his brand new album, which hopefully we're going to be debuting here when you get it ready to go, Eddie. And again, I want to thank you for sharing your time, your talent, and your music with us today. Thank you. My pleasure. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for watching and listening. And as for me, I'll see you next time.